0: Hey everybody, today's episode of the Listening Podcast is brought to you by you, our listener. Tell a friend, tell another music lover about the show, um, give us a follow on Twitter, and maybe share an episode if you're feeling so inclined. Um, You know, we're basically just asking for charity here. You know, just any help you can give. Let's start the show.
1: The Listening Podcast, episode 67, and we are dedicating this to Father John Misty. We're talking pure comedy the entire episode.
0: That's right, Sean. The comedy of man starts like this. <laughs> we jump into
1: an episode about Father John Misty and try to explain what he's doing. Well, the one good thing I can say is we are kind of industry insiders. We That's got right. an advanced copy of this album a week early before <laughs> the rest of the, the public got it. Um, not a huge deal. No, no, not a big deal. We're just insiders, um, so we, we have advanced thoughts, we have advanced opinions, That's no right. big deal.
0: Yep. Um, we weren't given an advanced copy because of our stature <laughs> as music thinkers. Sean just bought one and had it sent here. It was sent a week early, so yeah. we, had it, we
1: had it in advance Yeah. sort of listen. Fun fact, if you pre-order albums now, like if you actually buy music nowadays... The Wait, artist. What? I don't understand that. I know the concept I, of I that. I know. Not many people do. But if you actually buy music nowadays, the label, the artist, they'll bend over backwards to thank you, yeah. and they'll basically give it to you whenever you want in any context that you want
0: my liege (laughs) take this as a token of my gratitude
1: (laughs) That's pretty much what happened
0: the the music industry is a peasant you throw a shilling on the side of the road and they're just they're eternally grateful they're like Dobby the house elf they just owe you their life um but as a result uh we are excited to have some uh pure comedy takes yeah um in, on the eve of its actual release. Yeah. So um, when you're
1: listening to this, you will have either heard the album or you'll be getting ready to listen to it, hopefully. Um, or if you're listening to this and you have no intention of listening to pure comedy, you're a crazy person.
0: Yeah, you are. Actually, so l- stop the tape right now. Like, pause the podcast if you haven't heard the album and maybe listen to it, like, twice. Before you... Yeah, maybe, like, five times. Yeah, because we're going to be diving into... Sort of, I think, the nitty-gritty on this, yeah. this episode a little bit. A little more detailed than we've been on some album discussions lately. Um, because it's it's a lengthy album. There's a lot to it. There's a lot going on. And I think it's worth discussion. I don't think we're planning to do it track by track. But it's no. going to be most of this episode. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe... Do Strap a little, in. Do, buckle up. Yeah, buckle up. Do a little homework first. And I think to start we should talk about some of the lead-up to the album, yeah. Sean. Don't you think? Yeah. Because it was... Um, Father John, a.k.a. Josh Tillman, did an all-time sort of
1: press junket and sort of lead up to this album. It was an absolute blitz. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Every publication, whether it be music or pop culture in general, had some kind of Father John Misty piece, preview, interview, anything.
0: He was in the Financial Times. Are you serious? He was. It was a good interview. (laughs) But it's so funny to like, I clicked on it and it's like this Financial Times website and you scroll down and it's his mustached (laughs) face staring back. (laughs) It's him in like a leather chair, like (laughs) looking back. He just was everywhere and he had appearances on Colbert. He was on SNL where he had that controversial performance of Total Entertainment Forever. He was on this like Australian Morning show. Yeah. Did you watch
1: that? No, no.
0: It was one of the more awkward things I've seen. He was first of all, he had a ton of makeup on. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> like not clown makeup, but he it was like he wore like, like caked on. Yeah, like studio yeah. morning show makeup. Yeah. He looked ridiculous. Cause he's a really pale dude. Yeah. And basically the it, it's weird to see um someone from indie rock circles these days do this kind of a of a press circuit. In promotion of an album.
1: Yeah, it is really weird to see. And a weird album at that. Yeah, that's... Okay, that's the thing I kind of want to talk about with this press circuit. Is Father John Misty, the icon, the celebrity, if you want to call it that, the guy, what he represents, and what he's all about, I think is more famous than his actual music is. Like, if you were to say Father John Misty, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, he's that like indie rock guy. You'd be like, name one song by him. People probably couldn't really do it. That's the weird thing about him, is if if you don't know the music, like you still have an idea of what he's about. I can't think of anyone in the last five years who has been like that.
0: No, and another part of the, his sort of story, that there's two elements of his story that get brought up in pretty much every feature I've seen on him. One is his evangelical background, mm-hmm. as like he was brought up in this strict Christian home. He went to a Pentecostal like borderline cult school for a while where he spoke in tongues the other part of the story that music writers and any writer who has covered him over this this circuit loves to
1: bring up is that he wrote songs for Lady Gaga yes. and Beyonce and that's such a small part of what he's all about yeah. and he has actually said how much he hated doing that and yeah. how it showed him that the pop music industry is all bullshit and that the actual pop stars aren't empowered at all they're actually trapped so, I think he's done a lot of good in that regard. Maybe to shed light on how that actually is, but that does seem to be the. I've read that in every single piece. Those yeah. two things, and I'm like getting tired of it. I I'm just like, All skim right, over take, it. Take a different angle, please.
0: Well, and the thing about what he's doing too is, um, it, every interview is seemingly like a meta interview. Mm. Every feature is like a meta, th- in that it's con- he he's actively commenting. On sort of the artificial nature of an interview or a feature article to begin with, because he's he's constantly like making fun of the stuff he says and sort of the trappings of being interviewed. And stuff. And he's like, "Oh, there's a pull quote for you." He'll actively yes, call stuff like that. Yeah, out.
1: yeah. There's a line in a in the Pitchfork piece where he's like, "Just when I can feel pull quotes coming out of my mouth, the words taste better." Yeah. And it's like, and he's like trolling the interviewers who. Are also smart people and they get that he's making fun of them and their whole job and career, but they also kind of have to play ball. So they're put in this weird position where they kind of want to come across as like, oh, I get it. I'm smart. Like, I- I'm different from everybody else. But like, in reality, like, you're not. He also has this weird,
0: it's two things. He has a love hate sort of a dynamic going on with the music press where he seems to love giving interviews. Yeah. And he loves to be, you know, to be talked about. But. At the same time, he can have a lot of contempt for the way it's done, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of one of the weirdest things about Father John, and I think like, the fundamental sort of paradox. I'm using words he'd love, by the way. Oh, he'd be all in on like, because he's a big, he throws some some 10 cent words Mm -hmm. or whatever this phrase is Mm -hmm. into his songs. Um, He is like, at one time, a ham who loves attention and likes being showy, and on, on the other hand, kind of finds it all repulsive, Mm -hmm. and to use another word, I think he loves grotesque. Yeah. Like the idea of fame (laughs) and entertainment is a big-time thing he loves to critique. Right. But he... But he's complicit in all of it. He also can't help but eat it up. Exactly, exactly. And so this whole thing where leading up to pure comedy, I feel like... The album that's coming out has been almost lost in it. It's
1: it's part of the story, but it's 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 almost just like another little piece, like you said, part of the narrative, another piece of the story. It's kind of just like the Josh Tillman turned into Father John Misty, and he used to be part of this religious background, and oh, he has this new album coming out. But it, you're right, pure comedy. The album doesn't seem to be the main focus. No, it, it seems to be more about Father John Misty and his his antics.
0: And as promotion, it's genius. And I yeah. think, and the thing is, is like obviously he's a smart guy. Like that's that's basically a one. That's the first thing you learn about him. It's like, oh, this guy's pretty. He's he's bright. Right. And he feeds off of the polarized takes that that people, m- what people make of him. And I think that he knows that like that's like even though it's clickbait and even though he might find that stuff kind of repugnant, it's like you can take advantage of that too. Yeah. And absolutely. you can easily use it to your advantage. And I I think he's been
1: pretty willing to do that yeah I I agree with that and I think a a good question that comes out of this is how much of Father John Misty the quote-unquote character is representative of who Josh Tillman is as a person and how much is shtick how much is is that character what's real what's not
0: it's so hard to say in my mind because like I've heard interviews where He's kind of railed against the idea that Father John Misty is a character, yeah, and been yeah. kind of offended yep. by it. Yep. But I feel like he kind of has his cake and eats it too, because in other interviews he'll kind of use it as a shield or a defense yeah. mechanism, and be like, "Oh, it's kind of an over the top thing I'm doing." He even went out. We were talking, I think, last week about the fact that he um, said that for this album he has this character, the comedian. Right. The last one was what, the ladies man,
1: or was it the first no, one? Uh... First album, yeah. Well, yeah, something like that. So it seems like yeah. sometimes
0: he actively acknowledges the character, sort of the artifice of the album, and then on, in other instances he kind of, it's almost like whatever the narrative of narrative narrative on him is, he does he like feels like he has to squirm out from under it.
1: Yeah. So one of the the backstories on him is that you know he was in Fleet Foxes. He left the band he had some middling folk albums that he put out under the name Jay Tillman they didn't do anything and he had this epiphany that I should just speak as myself with all the crazy thoughts that I have and I'll call this Father John Misty and I think you nailed it where he's doing it as kind of a shield because I think it's hard to be that out there that vulnerable with your persona like that I think he does kind of need a shield So, yeah, there probably are times where he's like, oh, I need to revert from this a little bit. It'd be like, oh, yeah, that's just like the Father John Misty persona. In general, though, I really think this is just him. I don't think there's anyone, any artist, maybe Kanye West, who is as honest as he is about everything.
0: I feel like I've started to see him draw more and more comparisons to Kanye Mm -hmm. West in some ways in a couple of fashions. One's the honesty. The other is just the pure polarization of Mm -hmm. the response he gets. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I can imagine after he played Total Entertainment Forever on SNL, I know that was a polarizing performance to say the least, and it has to do with the betting Taylor Swift line, which a lot of people are, I think, willfully misunderstanding. And
1: blowing way out of proportion because it's another narrative to just write about. It's an easy angle to take.
0: It is. It just... and he's, I think, more and more, it's actually really weird to see this guy, who is a drummer in a folk rock kind of band, become, he's sort of an icon now yeah. in a weird way. He, and he, in a, it has something to do with the fact that he's a singular guy. He's like, it's a one person, right. and he has this like weird name, and he says funny stuff, and he looks
1: funny in pictures, like, and... He clearly has a sense of humor about himself. And and he's a lot like Kanye West in the way that everyone knows who Kanye West is. Yeah. Not everyone can speak to his music in a real way, where right. sometimes the music ends up being secondary to the crazy shit that's happening in their public persona.
0: Exactly, and people just end up hating him because of the exactly. way he and acts. and I'm like,
1: well, have you actually listened to like, Twisted Fantasy? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, it's one of the best albums of the decade, so maybe check that out first before you write them off wholesale. <laughs> you know? Completely, I yeah. I hate, one of my least hurt things is, oh, I fucking hate Kanye West. It's like, well, why? Because you, because like music journalists or the internet has framed him in this specific way that you're just taking for granted right, right now like that and i think part of that happens with father john misty too maybe less so than Kanye, just because he's not as big but um i i think that is definitely the case as well with him
0: well my last comment before i think we should jump into the album yeah. is that i think one thing that Father John does that's smart is he uses a lot of self-deprecation mm. and he seems self-aware of the mm-hmm. things people hate about him. I saw him quoted as saying like, I think it was in a Guardian article he said, I, I get a sick pleasure out of seeing how much people hate me mm-hmm. and then he was in another interview and he said that he knows how like weird it looks to have a mustache right. and how everyone must think he's a creep for having a mustache at the same time like behind all self-deprecation is like the, you're just you're defending yourself. Right. There's a little bit of like there's a part of him that likes the mustache. Yeah. There's a part of him that is really hurt when people hate. Yeah. Him. And but when you're that famous, like you can't. And escape. he knows.
1: He knows there's no poor me. People are making fun of me because yeah. of the way he positions himself. So the easiest way to do that is wrap himself in humor, self-deprecation, and and just you know, brush that off. Right, exactly. So let's dive in with some of our thoughts about the actual album, Pure Comedy, because this is really what the centerpiece of all of this media frenzy has been about. Yeah, Believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so initial thoughts for me, honestly, I, I almost don't even know where to start with this because there's so much going on. It's an, I mean, it's an hour and 18 minutes of music, um, and it feels capital I important in terms of what is the the subject matter and what he's talking about and what's going on mm-hmm. and there's I think there's kind of pressure to talk about it in a, in a nuanced smart way um, I'm feeling that pressure and that's why I kind of where I don't even know where to start I think there's been a lot of music critics reviews that have already started coming out about this that are trying to do it justice they're all kind of taking the same take on it where they're they're talking about all of that narrative they're summarizing the crazy press stuff like we just did no one really seems to be able to like grab this and like hold it in their hands it's almost like trying to cup water in your hands where it's like you have it a little bit and then it slips out there's just there's so much going on here about society the ills of society what's wrong with it you know living life in the 21st century and in 2017 like this is almost one where I, I'm not even... I'm not going to do it justice by even starting to talk about what it's about. You kind of have to just listen and 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 have your own take on the subject matter. And and there's plenty of, like I said, reviews and, and press that have dove into those subjects that we don't need to rehash here. But what I wanted to talk about is just how this album feels. And one one of the things about it is it feels like a classic album, like a masterpiece album in a way that we haven't had yet this year in 2017, or that I don't even think we really had last year in 2016. I don't think there was something that came out that was like, stop you in your tracks, like this feels important. And that's what I mean by like capital I important. It just, it it really feels like something different. Um, And to that point as well though, I think what ends up happening when there's these quote-unquote masterpiece albums that come out, they can sometimes get bogged down by those expectations and can get bogged down by that moniker of being a masterpiece. And sometimes it makes it a little less enjoyable because there's so much pressure to enjoy it as a masterpiece than some of the other ones. So I think for me, I love this album. I really, really have enjoyed it. I think there might be other albums that I have enjoyed more But I don't know if there's an album that has been better, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. And just to build quickly off something you said, I do think that we kind of skipped a year last year in terms of albums that came out that had this real weight to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in 2015, it was To Pimp a Butterfly, Right, yes. And it's actually, there's like almost a similar narrative there where you had Good Kid Med City. I mean, we draw this parallel all the time. But you had Good Kid Med City, which is really enjoyable. In a lot of, and it's like really great. There's a sort of a narrative to it, there's some pop appeal. Then you jump to, to Pimp a Butterfly, which is arguably, depending on what stance you want to take, better, more important, more artistically challenging. Father John's done a similar thing where I Love You, Honey Bear got so much critical love. It's, it's a great album, and it does have kind of a narrative arc or at least a unifying theme. Um, and then he moves on to Pure Comedy, where um, I, th- my first. Thought that I wanted to bring up is the fact that I didn't even really realize until today when I re-listened to Honey Bear just how much of a leap he's made. Yeah, it's, it's pretty different. It's gotten lost in the narrative because yeah. there's still hall- hallmarks here of, of what makes Father John Misty who he is. But these are very different albums. This is like almost twice the length of Honey mm-hmm. Bear. It's, it's less funny it's, le- it's less sort of inviting and, and warm and stuff, and that's all by design, and it's getting some criticism as a result of that.
1: It is. One of the big criticisms is that it's not as immediate or catchy as Honey Bear. I would agree with that, yeah. but I don't think that that is the standard that you should be measuring this album against. It's it's a, Like you said, it's a different thing. There's a different direction and tone and goal for this album than what Honey Bear was doing. It's it's definitely less immediate,
0: but I, I th- am... In agreement with you, in that I really do love this album so far, um, and I mean there are still questions that are yet to be answered, like how will it date? Mm. Like in, in even a year, really right. want to listen to this right. album that much because there are some sort of references that might seem dated. It it just it's such a weighty listen that there is a way in which it like I can just see it be imposing when I'm out of the moment, when I'm out of my full on like sort of honeymoon phase with it. I can see it being kind of a burden. But I will say this. I've, I've listened to this album now sort of a bunch of different ways. I've listened all the way through the full, whatever, 74 minutes, straight through album experience. I've liked that. I've listened to just some songs from it. Mm-hmm. Like a couple listens in, I'll pick songs out. You know, Dying Man. Um, it could be Birdie. It could be... Um, What's it called? Total Entertainment. Like any, I'll I'll pick sort of, and really like all of them stand on their own in some ways. Some of like I think there are not that many that have sort of a single appeal. Right. But if you like Father John, you'll like almost all of these. I think outside the context of the album, Um, and I've I've listened to sometimes like just skipping the songs I already knew from like previous releases. So every time I've enjoyed it, and I really have liked it it in every way and even on a distracted listen the thing about this album is i think there's this idea that you really yeah. have to you must take something away from it yeah i think it stands up as just listening yeah, just to stuff. music too yeah i agree it's super, like the instrumentation is really cool yeah. um and we'll get into more of that but there's some great melodies and it's just like as an album to just have on in the background and listen to yeah I think you—it's more of an active listen for sure. Mm, mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't recommend your first couple listens no. being ones that are just in the background. You're not going to get much out of it. No, and it, I, I agree. I think that once you know it, though, it, it's very—it's fine to have on, not you know, paying attention to 50 percent. Because it's like it's beautiful. There's yeah. like
0: so many different instrumental swells that are going yeah. on, and the arrangements that are being done on here, and just. It, and it's really ambitious and I, that's something I was struck with today is like I got so caught up in Father John Misty's new album it's this big thing there's so much press leading up to it I kind of forgot like this is a guy who's come really far yeah he's made some big strides creatively yeah and I you know he gets he, like you said he as a person is is sort of bigger than his music it seems at this point but um,
1: you know I, I'm really impressed with what he's done with this mm-hmm. album uh, yeah I, I am too and um I know we want to get into to some of the actual songs themselves. There's a lot to talk about. I think Leaving L.A. is, is a big one to yeah. talk about. But um, I want to talk about critical reaction to this and fan reaction to this. Um, because, like we said, so much of this is focused on the message and the lyrics. Uh, m- more so even than I Love You Honey Bear or Fear Fun. Because those could definitely just be taken on their own as... Almost pop songs in a way. Like we were saying, this one, to get the most out of it, you really do need to be focused on the lyrics here. And it is so dense. Do you think in a way this could be alienating to more casual Father John Misty fans or or even critics? because uh, of that fact
0: yeah I think that some of that's bearing out already um, we were on Twitter earlier mixing it and up in a with, Twitter war yeah mixing it up with Friends of the Pod um, <laughs> Ian Cohen Stephen <laughs> Hyden and Jeremy Larson three yeah. um, music writers who are who are hot in the, in the music Twitter verse or whatever you want to call it and um, some of the discussion is like people like like Ian Cohen and Jeremy Larson were saying like we like Father John we just it, this album's not very enjoyable it's not easy to enjoy. It's it's like a lot of complaining from their perspective. So, uh, what Jeremy Larson said in his review of this album in spin was that he didn't really like it that much. Um, even though he likes Father John Misty and and I think he made a point that I think could I could see becoming a, a common criticism of it. And it actually it's about the song Leaving LA, but I think in some ways it can speak to the rest of the album and things that people might not like about it and he's talking about leaving LA which is the 13 minute sort of like centerpiece of the album and it's this like long confessional thing where Father John's singing mostly about sort of himself would you say
1: yeah yeah
0: and um it's really lengthy and and he's saying what, what Larson says is it's Sort of a forgettable listen, on the other hand, backed by some subtle orchestral instrumentation and occasionally interrupted by some of the record's limpest harmonizing, etc., etc. And then he says, uh, Tillman said he spent three years writing the song, and it's indeed an impressive writing feat, but it's hard to imagine hearing more than once. I
1: I disagree with that so hard. I, I really, really disagree with that, because there's the lyrics on Leaving L.A. I think are some of the finest lyrics that father john misty has ever written it goes back to that that self-deprecating that smart that biting way that only he can kind of look at things and sum them up leaving la is one of my favorite songs on the album i've listened to that as much or more than any song on here even though it is 13 minutes long when i talk about there's a feeling to this album that i want to keep going back to leaving la is really what i mean those strings just the simple guitar chords. Um, I think you you had had a point in here about how there's limited melody to this song. Yeah, I think this song is melody to spare, Jake. Really? I do. But Maybe it's like, not to spare, it's but
0: basically I, like one melody the whole song, I, every which verse. I, which
1: I think is totally fine because it's I again, it's really more about the message of the song. And there's so many lyrics, and they're so clever, they're so good. I think it lends itself to repeat listens where you can be like, oh, this is the verse where he's talking about um, you know, the fans who are going to jump ship when mm-hmm. they listen to this 10-verse chorusless cor- diatribe that right. I'm on right now. Like, Then this is the part where he does X or Y or Z. So I think that song absolutely lends itself to repeat listens. I think it's bullshit in, th- in this spin review that they're saying you wouldn't want to listen more than once. I think...
0: Just from the perspective of someone who's like a more casual Misty fan, or someone who is coming to it with maybe a more negative slant, maybe that's the part where they tune out. If whether you like it or not, because I think like we we are and for the record, I I like leaving LA a lot. I think that it is it's simple. There's there's like it's each verse has sort of the same structure, um, and it's sung with the same melody, which I don't mind because that's not the point of the song. Right. It's clearly he's he's doing a different thing about it. Um, I also love Leaving L.A., and I think it's a song that's almost like an encapsulation of the album. It seems self-aware yeah. almost of how long it is and how like self-absorbed it is. A thought I had is it, it, for all that Father John is sort of poking fun at and, and criticizing the self-obsession that we have in this culture and like just sort of all the, the failings of the way we live life, You know, total entertainment, whatever, like that stuff. This is the most sort of just self reflective song on the whole thing. It's mostly just all about him for 13 minutes Mm. in this album that really is like these broader ideas, these large brushstroke thoughts about life on earth. Right. This song is like just these little vignettes about his life almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And with the strings and stuff, it almost like I get this vibe sometimes that it's like this self aware, overlong. Just sort of dirge for the for mm-hmm. the the sinking of the Titanic,
1: so to speak. Like sort of the our, our, our sinking ship of a society. Right. That's what yeah. I mean. It's like
0: it's a it's a heavy-handed metaphor. Right. And I don't know if you meant lo- it.
1: I love that though. I love that part about it. Um and, and yeah, you're right. I think to more casual fans, maybe that isn't gonna be the most appealing thing. One of the things I'm realizing or or have it's dawned on me over this past week is There is a ton of reaction from critics and fans that they're like, I agree with with Josh Tillman and what he's saying. I agree with all the points that Father John Misty is making. And there's a great line in Leaving LA where he actually speaks to this and he goes, so why am I so distraught that what I'm selling is getting bought? It's like, dude, you're not this completely alone person who sees all like you think you are. There's so many other people out there who also think the same way you do. We just don't maybe vocalize it as well. We're but not like famous rock, like rock musicians. Yeah, yeah.
0: We this came up on the podcast where we talked about Father John last summer when that's we saw right. him in Newport because yeah, he played right. this at Newport. That's right. And I remember that that line really stuck with me. That why am I? Why is it I'm so distraught that what I'm selling is getting bought? I love that line. It's one of my favorites in the whole song, and it it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about this is a dude who no matter what narrative is sort of superimposed onto him, he doesn't want that to be, he right. doesn't, he feels constrained by it. Right. He's like, sort of, he feels boxed in or caged in. Like someone's going to figure him out. Right, exactly. He, he doesn't
1: want that. He doesn't yeah. want to be summed up and wrapped in a neat little bow. Which I can understand. Because always... no no human, There we, oh, or selfishly, we all feel more complex than being wrapped up in a neat little bow where it's like, oh, this guy's like kind of crazy or whatever, and like, no one wants to be categorized and put in a box like that because we all think we're this incredibly unique you know being when in reality, a lot of us feel just the same way.
0: Right. And I think this song is is the that line and sort of this song in general, he kind of just lets it all pour out. and um, you know, for good and for bad, because it, a forgiving listener like you or I, who mm. we enjoy father John, we're we're looking to enjoy it. We're right. coming into this album right. hoping to like it and willing to like it. Mm-hmm. Someone who is more of a hater and hates his stupid fucking mustache and saw him on SNL and is like, fuck him because of the Taylor Swift thing, they listen to this and they're like, yeah, dude. Seriously, like, say all the stuff you're saying about yourself is true. I hate you. Right. I can see that. And I can see getting to leave the LA. If you like what's going on at the beginning of Pure Comedy, because there's some really interesting stuff going
1: on, this is a song that... Really hammers its point home. Yeah, this will test your. This song will test your your limits, your patience.
0: And I think it's a it's a damn good thing. There's the orchestral flares going on, and there's the strings. It really adds to the song. One and B, it distracts from the fact that it is, like he says, a ten verse, chorusless diatribe. That's exactly what it is. There's not a whole musically. There's not a ton going on. Lyrically, it's a lot. Right. I heard, and I think it was in the Jeremy Larson piece for Spin. He said something to the effect of like, there are songs, or or he was quoting someone else. And he said there are some songs on here that would be better as blog posts than songs. It's like,
1: Okay, dude, fuck you. But it's not as enjoyable that way. Yeah, like, that's the I, I whole know, point. I that's know. why he like, does this. And I, th- I think also there, there seems to be this sentiment from people, and he actually pokes fun at this on the memo. The one of the the last songs on the album of like music is my life. It's like this. He gets me. This guy totally gets me, or whatever. This is the song of my summer, or whatever. Yeah. It's like there seems to be that sentiment of even like his biggest fans, even when he's talking about these really heavy subjects and, you know, crucifying the society that we live in right now, there's people who are like, yeah, dude, like, I I, I know what you're saying, or, like, I get him, but, like, no one else does. I think even you and I have this element yes. of that, and I will admit to it where it's like, I think I'm smart because I like Father John Misty. It's like, right. well, so do a bunch of other people, dude. You're not special because you like Father John Misty. Like, they, I don't care if you... Also feel the same way about him As on certain topics or whatever It's like so do millions of others That's why he's like this huge icon Right
0: exactly And And I think
1: there's that sentiment to it
0: And I think that with this album As lyrically dense and heavy as it is it will start to test some of the fans who are less on that, yeah, less in that yep. boat because I think there are some fans of Honey Bear and Fear
1: Fun who are like, these are just like, these are some catchy jams. Yeah, exactly. Like, these are catchy songs. and like, he's funny. Like do you remember the audience that was at the House of Blues show that we saw? It was all like college bros who were there just like talking and like, drinking beers and, like, talking about getting, like, fucked up and, like, what bar they were going to after.
0: There were those dudes behind us who were doing that. And I think a part... You know what's interesting is, like, I think Father John for a period and maybe still now it was just sort of the indie guy of the moment yeah yeah because i remember in that aziz ansari show master of yes, none it was a big ticket yeah. item and people were going to see father john mystic yeah. um but i i can see that with this album and it's like what he said where he's like in the song says, as they jump ship i used to like this guy this new shit really makes, makes me want to f- die yeah. i i can see that happening and i I, I do think that again it's very self aware of him to say that but i can't say it's not true because you start this album with with pure comedy, right. a song that is, you know, almost pretentious in its scope, right? And uh, albeit I love that song, but like it, there's a lot going on here. And if you're if you were more into Father John for sort of the iconography surrounding him, the fact that he had a beard and long hair and wore sunglasses and was just sort of like this funny misanthropic mm-hmm. sort of like someone you could latch onto as an image. It, you're not going to like this
1: album as much because he's not willing to give. He's not in playing ball with you this not with time. that anymore. No, no. And I've seen some comparisons, and I think this is a little over the top in the way this comparison is. People are comparing this to the Lou Reed album, um, Heavy Metal Machine, or, or oh, whatever. Oh, Metal Machine Me- Music. Metal Machine Music, where it's like okay. it's it's just trying to shed his his casual listeners that he gained. from his past releases i disagree because this still is like beautiful beautiful music
0: yeah i was gonna say that to me is crazy because and i've never listened to metal machine music because i've read about it and am sane (laughs) but (laughs) this album is like there are great great songs on it i think we should jump in now to like sort of the sound of what's going on in this album so like i said it starts off with with the song pure comedy which we've discussed before and like I said that's a song with an enormous scope and it almost in I love this song I think more than most and I know why some people I think I think I know why some people don't like it as much as I do and I and I I think it is a failing of it is it almost bites off more than it can chew
1: mm. This is a song where like he's trying to tackle so much the the comedy of man starts like this our brains are t- are too big for our mother's hips It's like okay you're talking about yeah. Like a lot here, dude. He's starting macro. Yeah. He's talking.
0: <laughs> yeah. he, he's starting big picture. And like he there's like a verse in this where there's it's one of those things where the words overrun the thing. He's like their languages just serve to confuse them. You're their right. confusion somehow makes them more sure. He's just it He's criticizing everything so harshly that I can see that being off-putting. And it's a it's a great mission statement for the album, though. It's great. And musically. It's so interesting, and it really gives you this taste of like what is coming on this album, in some ways because it's it's very theatrical in some ways, and there's these big swells of horns and I think some strings and just big orchestration, and this was I think the first single we got for this yeah, album, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking when that came out like this is going to be a different thing. Um, I think the album itself. Is maybe a little less different in some ways Than that song would indicate It depends what song you're listening to
1: Yeah, well I I think one of the big focuses here More so than Honey Bear or Fear Fun Is the amount of piano that's on here Yeah There's way less guitar than you would think And there's a lot more strings There's a lot more horns There's a lot of pianos It feels very like big and grandiose in a way That those last albums didn't That were very much guitar-focused.
0: Yeah, and I think an important person to give a shout-out to is this dude Gavin Bryars, who I think is like an avant-garde or jazz-type composer. And from what I understand, Father John got him for this album... To basically write the orchestration and a lot of like the bigger grander instrumental stuff, he sort of arranged that. Mm. So I think that's it includes stuff like pure comedy, the stuff in in twenty years or so where there's all the strings. Um, And I think there's a bunch of songs here and there that have that. And this is whatever he did adds so much to this album because it's an album that's complex in terms of lyrics. But say he went and did like a fear fun sound, or he did even a sound like honey Bear, where it's it's almost like it's more straight ahead rock it's almost a little roots in yes, it. like fear much, fun yes. is almost it's like folk and blues very much this album has this flavor of of complex almost experimental jazz and and sort of classical mm-hmm. thrown into the mix and what i'm still marveling at and i don't really know how he did it is it it works so well mm. it works so smoothly and I, in my mind i was always like father john's a guy who writes catchy songs and his lyrics are really what you're in for but on pure comedy like the, these songs are really lush yeah. and so complicated musically
1: yeah yeah they are i i can't speak as well to the the instrumentation or right. or the actual music as much as you can or, or other people can but even to a layman like me it comes across especially there's like this this swell, this, like, piano swell on the third track on, um... Things that would have been helpful to know. Before the revolution, yeah. And, uh, just there's little moments like that that pop up throughout. Like, the piano on When the God of Love Returns, There Will Be Hell to Pay. Right. Um, where he's like, humans are something and something Um, right because that's (laughs) that could be a lyric on any song on this album right so humans are x (laughs) humans are x and y but there's like these nice little like piano chords that play underneath it and that that kind of stuff pops up throughout so even to me who someone who i am more inclined to pay attention to the lyrics of it and that's really you know one of the my big takeaways is is the lyrics on here but even the instrumentation is something that i could be like wow this is very different than what he's been doing before and it sounds amazing.
0: And I'm with you on that. We're like but the thing is with Father John that's mostly what I did take away yeah. from his stuff was like, yeah, some of these songs are catchy. I like some of the stuff he's doing melodically and stuff like that. There's he really hasn't done anything close to this though. When you really right. listen to it, he the the what he's pulling like there's a bunch of different strings um and all these different instrumental sounds that did not appear on Father John Missy music before and it it, it, it like I think what I'm trying to get at is, he should have bitten off more than he could chew with all that. Mm. But I think it works really well.
1: And There's I, all these varied sounds, right? And I think some people would argue that he did. Yeah. And, and I want I want to get into a little bit more of the the criticism that will inevitably come. There's going to be misty backlash. He's at the apex of popularity and goodwill right now. Right. I can easily see him becoming like a meme. Th- like a, a bad one, because yeah. I think it's arguable that he might already be one, but I could see it becoming like, oh, you father John Misty'd that, or something stupid.
0: That was the headline of one of his articles. He said, I've basically
1: become a meme yeah. at this point. Yeah, pretty much. And it's a picture yeah. of him like leaning over a piano <laughs> right. with his mustache. Right. right. I think one of the easiest ways to attack this album is just say it's too long. It's, a, it's an hour 18, and again, if you're not buying in, if you're not buying what he's selling on this you're in for a long, long ride here, and it's not going to be the most fun for you. So I think, yeah, too long. Could this bet have been cut down by 18 minutes? Sure, probably it could have. Uh, but again, that goes against what he's trying to do. He, like What he's doing with this album is saying, like I don't give a fuck how long it is. I'm just going to do what I want to do. This is going to be as over the top or as big as I want it to be. So again, I think there's this this balance of what might have been the more purely enjoyable direction to go and what the great artistic direction could have go. And that's what I mean by that push and pull between enjoyable and and quality or or good.
0: Well and speaking in terms of how big a difference it is, again, with honeybear, it's it's a full half hour longer. Yeah. It's it's legitimate it's like basically twice the length. And so length could be an issue. I think another thing is um, it might be too tied into this era and this That's, specific time. And and yeah. what's gonna happen is there's gonna be this imposed narrative about Trump. Yes. Even though he wrote and recorded it before Trump was elected, the lyrics in pure comedy when he says, um, who are these like, what does he say? It's these like, these goons to rule them. Yeah. Um what what makes these clowns they idolize so remarkable? That's always gonna now just historically be tied to Trump. I, he can, wrote I can it.
1: see I can see in twenty years or so if this human experiment doesn't reach its violent end, Jake, as yes, he says it will in that's 20 right. years, that this is just w- tied way too closely to this Trumpian piece of art that came out of that era. When in reality, I think that's happening a lot with a lot of albums, especially this year that have come out. People want to put a, a Trump political narrative to them when these have all been written well before he even won. And, and I don't think that's fair.
0: And he said that this album would have a different vibe if Hillary won. Yeah. And, he, and I don't. I think he's a guy who is... I think to a certain extent, rightfully so, distrustful of probably all politicians. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it, there's also references that are tied to this time and place, like that Taylor Swift line. For a few reasons, one, it was so controversial, and it's one. Of, it's going to be this like thing because it happened on SNL. Right. So that's like a thing that happened now in quotes. Right. So that's like the, a, a story about Father John. The other is she's a popular musician in this time, and like he has lyrics. Like in Leaving L.A. when he says, oh great, another white guy in 2017 who takes himself so goddamn seriously. In 2019, that'll sound a dated. little dated. Like, literally. Right. And so I do wonder if there's some of those things where, one, it's sort of an impenetrable listen. It's long. Two, there's it seems sort of dated and of its time and place.
1: Yeah, I, I think... And we were, we were talking about this the other day. I think even when we're talking about Father John Misty... I love you, Honey Bear versus Pure Comedy. In in 20 years, if you're someone like us who's trying to go back and listen to some of these quote-unquote classic albums, and you're like, oh, Pure Comedy is supposed to be one of the best albums of 2017. Let me check that out. I don't think you're going to be like, oh, hell yeah, this is awesome. You're going to be left feeling cold to this album. And you're like, I prefer Honey Bear. I'm going to listen to that one.
0: I can see what happened to me with Pink Floyd almost happening with this, where it's like, I go back and my trust tree last week was that I've never listened to The Wall and the reason is it's 80 minutes long mm-hmm. it's politically charged I don't know how interested I am in an album that has that sort of thing going on and so in 20 years or so someone looking back at Father John I think exactly that They're, Honey Bear is going to be so much more inviting even Fear Fun I can see someone being like yeah I'm a Father John Misty fan and I, I've never really fucked with pure comedy though Or, or yeah exactly you know because yeah. it, it is so much
1: to take in Let's talk a little bit about um, In 20 Years or So. The song. The song. The song, yeah. This is the last song on the album. And it takes on, to me, a similar tone that I went to the store one day did on the end of Honey Bear. Where he spends the entire album almost railing against this certain topic. or, Or kind of discussing it in this Big, big way that almost has a negative slant to it. And in that one, it's love and romance. Exactly, where he's questioning, you know, what is this thing? Why are we doing it? It's so silly. But in the end, he's like, it, you know, I never thought it happened to me. Like, this is actually real. Right. He does kind of the same thing with in 20 years or so, where he's talking about how I'm just a speck on a speck on a speck, but I'm sitting with you as our second drinks arrive, and all of a sudden, like, it's okay to be alive. And there's a really nice sentiment to that that I think kind of needs to be here to offset some of the negativity and, and grandiose thoughts that are on this album where it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, the world might be a fucked up, crazy place, but if I can have a personal connection with someone, he's like, really, that's all that matters. And that's the really interesting thing about Josh Tillman and about Father John Misty is he can look at all of the bad things that are happening and get in his own head about it and, and go crazy about it. He also knows, though, it's like the only way to get through any of this is to find solace in other people. And he says it right at the end of Pure Comedy, at the start of the album. He goes, I hate to say it, but each other's all we've got. And it's true. And he he has little nuggets like that throughout the album. And I think it's unfair to make a criticism of Oh, it's just he's complaining the entire time. It's like, well, how closely did you actually listen? Right? Because he's making points the entire way about how like you need people or like there's these little things that he drops the entire time that are positives. A few thoughts about that. One, another moment like that
0: actually that escaped me the first few times because I was so in the album. Smoochie is like that. Mm-hmm. The song Smoochie, mm-hmm. the whole that song is he's I it's so funny because if you Look at the lyrics to all these songs. Each one is like it's a tome. Yeah, it's basically a novella. Smoochy, it's two verses, yep. and the whole thing is he's like, when I get two in my own head, you say come over here, Smoochy, and then and like yep. it's all good. And that goes back to exactly what you were saying, where it's people, the connections you make, the stuff you love that makes living life worthwhile. To return to the in twenty years or so thing, I I can't take credit for this because I read this on a Lyric Genius comment section, but I just like the way it was worded. He drops kind of a twist ending here. yeah. And it's like, you can see, it's almost like how in a movie you could see it coming if you paid enough attention throughout. Like how at the end of pure comedy, he's like, I hate to say it, but each other's all we've got. Smoochy, he's like, you know, the people I love keep me going. At the very end, he says, you know, as the second drinks arrive, it's a miracle to be alive. There's nothing to fear. It is kind of a, a twist ending after he, you know... Breaks down consumerism and just every, like all the ills of society and the world, and the fact that it's this absurd existence we all live, and what is the point of it all? But I love you, you love me, mm-hmm. we may as well enjoy life while we're here. Right. And it actually does go back to what you said about um, Honey Bear, where that has the same thing. And it's, it's an interesting trend in his music um, in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, I I don't know. I just really love what he does with that. I
1: I do, too. And I think on uh, Ballad of the Dying Man, this song, I think, on first listen, you think, oh, this is a big criticism of all of us who are just, you know, stuck on our phones, on Twitter, analyzing and critiquing everything. In reality, though, he's teaching you a lesson where it's, you know, don't waste all of your time caught up with this bullshit on the internet. Like, kind of, like, live your life. Yeah. Stop criticizing people because it's not worth it in the end. And like you got to live your own life. So that's another one where he's dropping a little hint about, you know, and this is the thing about him. He's he's so fucking smart. Right, yeah. He gets up in his own head. But in the, at the end of the day, part of his goal with writing this wasn't just to pick apart society and critique everybody. It was like I have the full picture here too where I, I know the things that matter but I still can't help getting caught up with this other stuff because it's so fucking scary.
0: Yeah, and I, I hesitate to say this because you just said that he's so smart, and I'm not trying to say that about myself, but the reason I can relate to this so much is that my my mind does the same thing where I'm, I am get caught in these circular spirals of just, like, nothing matters. It's all sort of this absurd farce. Like, why do we even do this? And then sometimes I do have these moments where I'm like, oh, but, like, this is fun. Right. I'm enjoying this. And I think a lot of people that happens to and I think that it is more relatable than you might think and that's where I think the problem with having that mindset and I think this happens to him is like no one can possibly understand me I think he has that idea where if he gets sort of pinned down and what he's selling is getting bought it's a scary feeling because yeah. he's like, well, do
1: other people think this shit too? And that's what I mean about how there's a lot of people out there who think exactly yeah. the same way.
0: And and I think that is a little scary to him. You, you mentioned Dying Man. I just think one of the funniest lyrics on the whole album is when he's like, um, the Dying Man checks his, his news feed to see what he's about to miss. <laughs> yes, yeah, It's so funny yeah. to me because it really is what it's become. People get addicted to their Twitter I, feed. I know. And I they're know. in like whatever social media you yep. use and, and whatever news feed you follow. It's, it's become this like addiction where it, it's almost like the news and stuff that happens isn't even real. It's just this right. thing you have to get yeah, through. Yeah. What are you about to make? I've
1: seen so many comparisons written about this album already with reviews that have compared this to Infinite Jest. It's almost like these the one critic had this idea, and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to run with that angle, right. too. I'm going to talk about Infinite Jest because this is going to make me look smart to name drop David Foster Wallace like I just did no big deal.
0: Well, no, but you're at least acknowledging it. Yeah, that but it's it's, it's because I
1: I have I've read like 3 or 4 now and by the second one I was like, "All right, come on. Like what the fuck?" But they made a good point about how in Total Entertainment Forever, he seems to be making this comparison to something that happened in, in Infinite Jest. It's this thing called the entertainment that oh, really? as soon as you start watching it, like everything else just goes away. You basically watch it till you die. And that's kind of what he's saying about uh, everything that we have going on right now is that you just get so sucked up into it that you you stop paying attention to anything else.
0: Two thoughts. Is it in Dying Man um, when he says, um, we'll all be wrong someday? Yeah, it is. It's like right before the chorus. He says, we'll all be wrong someday. That's a line that I think is really interesting. And it also is part of like we spend so much of our life analyzing and trying to be right and with science and we try yeah. to get it. We try to be updated and informed. And it can be really a hopeless, hopeless feeling when you realize I'm going to die. And even a century after that, almost like like 50% of the stuff I believe will now be disproven, right. wrong, right. or right. just passe. Another century, 80%. Right. Like pretty much all this stuff I hold myself up with and that I believe yeah. will just one day be laughable. Yeah. And that, it, like, that is what he's contending with when he says later on, like, oh, it's actually worth living. <laughs> right, um, right. And I think that Total Entertainment Forever, To that's another point I wanted to bring up, is
1: that song's getting lost, I think, because of the controversy. Mm. I think that's a brilliant it's song. It's a great song. It, that That is the most, I think, accessible yeah. upon first listen. It's the most pop-oriented. I think I brought this up to you the other day. It reminds me a lot of Chateau Lobby Number 4. of Honey Bear where it's the second song on the album. It comes right after like this big mission statement Mm -hmm. title track. The credo. Exactly. And then you dive into this shorter, catchier pop song. So even though he's kind of blown out this idea of what an album is and could be and the length and everything, there's still some definite beats throughout this that are similar to what he's done in the past where especially to Honey Bear where I love you Honey Bear Chateau Lobby And I went to the store one day. Could all easily be compared to pure comedy, the title track, uh, Entertainment Forever, and... um in twenty years or
0: so, I agree. Structurally, they yeah. that definitely is a real comparison. It's actually interesting to think about how much of that is intentional, right? Um, and I think it probably is. Yeah. The thing about total entertainment forever is like, a, I think it's a total jam. Yeah, I think it's really catchy, and it is. It's schmaltzy. It's over the top. It has this like saxophone solo and this horn section.
1: Oh, there's lots of ohs oh, and na na na's and stuff.
0: And it, but he packs so much into this two minute song, and there's some really affecting parts, like when he's like, when his. I always love whenever I get to the part when he says, when historians find we'll be in our yes. homes h- hooked into our hubs skin and bones
1: a smile that, that's the the infinite jest reference right oh, there is where it? it's just like we're like so locked in yes. to the entertainment yeah like
0: a smile on ev- frozen on every face um and the stories will be replayed this must have been a wonderful place yeah like that That's it, really eerie yeah. But it's done to it's done with a smile and like <laughs> right, this like right. over the top, almost like sort of cabaret. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's <laughs> the right word.
1: Like. No, I, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, before we get into what some of our favorite and least favorite songs are, even though know, we've kind of already touched on that, let's talk about this weird Father John Misty Fleet Fox's dichotomy that we found ourselves in with yeah. There's there's this whole press angle yeah. again. About how they must be in competition or there must be bad blood between the two of them. I don't want to talk about that. I don't think that matters. I think that's kind of bullshit. I think I buy into it sometimes, though. I, oh, yeah. I, catch I think myself, it's really easy to be like, oh, like, ooh, Father John Misty's on SNL
0: or like. I catch myself wondering, are they competitive? Like, yeah. d- does Robin Pecknold see that and be like, like, sneer at him a little bit or be like, he was always that way? He's so annoying yes. and now
1: people buy it. Yes, I definitely think Pecknold thinks that way. He has to. And I think that Tillman thinks that Pecknold's brand of music is fucking bullshit.
0: It's like limp and it's artifice. Yes.
1: But at the same time,
0: yeah, and Pecknold must look back at at Tillman from when he was in the band and he must be like... Hundred percent chance Josh Tillman was annoying.
1: Oh, yeah, to
0: be in a band with he
1: probably just he made he probably made so many comments while he like smoked a cigarette.
0: He that that's his life, dude. Yeah. Is him like is him like leaning and <laughs> limp wrist holding cigarettes, smoking a cigarette, right. and like probably being high on LSD <laughs> right. and like trying to tell the rest of the band why. All, what they're doing is just a brand, and it's all bullshit. <laughs> and he's right, but that's annoying when you're trying to make music. Right. So I like for me, I actually do get caught up in it a little bit. Yeah. Where like I don't love gossipy shit, right? But I can't help but because these are it, they're two artists I love, right? And I guess what it comes down to is it really is just crazy to think that there's a period in history now where this dude, Father John Misty, who's now more famous arguably than Fleet Foxes, yeah, I think definitely more yeah. famous, yeah, 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 was in the band. And what's really interesting to me is to think about the wealth of talent that was in that yeah. band during that 08 to 2012 period. Yeah, And they were just all tour- We saw them on tour. That's right. Isn't that weird to that's think? That's so weird. We-, that was what- we had no idea who that dude was at the time. No, and he's just back there on the drums. Yeah, that's the kit. That's what that, and like that irony, that weirdness, is only going to be stranger with, I, with time. I know. I know.
1: It's so weird. Yeah, it, and it's going to be interesting, too as more time goes and as Father John Misty gets more famous and we'll see what Fleet Foxes does because they're coming back from a hiatus how music history looks back on this Yes. and if if A how are people gonna because there there is a competition element to this because one of these artists is gonna come out being like the victor of this era where it's yep. gonna be like oh Father John Misty was in Fleet Foxes and it's like wow, Father John Misty's so much bigger than they ever were, or it's going to be the opposite, where it's like, oh, that's weird that like Fleet Foxes had this dude who did this little one-off thing. I I can't wait to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, because it could go one of two ways. It's like what you said, where it, it could almost be Father John Misty with this album. I could see the narrative becoming, he almost flew too close to the sun. He burnt people out on him. Mm, yep. and, and he got more famous than he'd ever been, but people got a little tired of his shtick. People like sort of, it wore thin yep. um, and the other thing is like we were talking about the fact that Father John Misty's music can be I think especially this album tied to a time and place Fleet Fox's music is kind of timeless.
1: timeless, it yeah. just it just feels could be of any era,
0: right yeah. exactly and like we even have talked about the fact that their first album and EP sound almost ancient or mm-hmm. medieval And and there's, that's gonna keep selling, that's, that's not right.
1: gonna, you know in 30 years that won't seem that much older Pure Comedy, we already said in Two years isn't going to be right that relevant anymore.
0: I, w- I really do wonder do you think you'll be able, do you think this is an album you're going to be able to go back and listen to a lot in no. a
1: couple years? No. no. I think there are songs. There's going to be some, not as a whole. I already know I'm not going to be able to. It's, I think it might even be harder later this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it probably which, will. Which is, that's what happens with some of these capital I important albums. Pimpa Butterfly is another one. It's the I same have thing. not revisited that album. No. I don't even think once in full since 2015 i have i think just once yeah and it it's tough
0: because and it's it's still good but that's the difference is you don't listen to it just to enjoy it you listen to it to kind of relive it for a minute right oh yeah like i I remember and like there are moments there are songs that you still love but it i it's interesting it's almost like part of me wishes it weren't quite that way because i right in this moment i'm loving this album
1: yeah i'm all about pure comedy right now. yeah me too and I'm kind of afraid of oh, the future. I know bit. it's coming. I know that's coming where I'm like, I, I don't have the energy to listen to that right now. Yeah. Um it's it's going to happen. Uh, with that, let's get into some of our favorite and least favorite songs. Okay. Um I had mentioned one before and it might be it might be my my favorite. It's it's leaving LA. Yeah. Um you know, we already talked about that one. We talked about Total Entertainment Forever as as well and Ballad of the Dying Man. Those three are definitely up there. I want to talk about one we haven't mentioned yet. It's uh, So I'm Growing Old on Magic Mountain. So this one is interesting because this seems to be one of the most, I don't want to call it psychedelic, but it's one of the more um, not grounded in reality songs. He talks about drinking the farmer's potion and everything got slower. He's like, the slower the better. Because, like, I um like you don't age on Magic Mountain or whatever. It's yeah. like, what are you talking about, dude? Do you think it's some sort of allegory for, like, Hollywood? Or- it's, I, I know what it is. I finally figured it out today. Oh. I was reading a review or something, and it was talking about this story. Uh, I forget what it's called at this point, though. But basically, this guy goes to visit his cousin or something at a sanitarium. And they end up, like, keeping him there for, like, years and years. Like, seven years or something. Mm-hmm. And when he leaves, like, World War One breaks out or something like that. Uh, so I think it's a comparison to that where it's, like, if I just stay in this, like, safe place, I don't need to deal with any of the other crazy shit that's going out. And, like, like there's a line on that song where he's, like, the longer I stay here, um, like, there's no future or right. something like that. So this song to me reads, like... Magic Mountain is this escape from all of the bad shit he's talking about throughout the rest of the album. Right. Um, And it has this great kind of ambient instrumentation that ends the album for like four or five minutes or something. Um, And the melody on this is beautiful, too. It is. Uh, this, This is one of the ones where I think if you really liked that Fear Fun sound... This is going to be the one that appeals to you the most cuz it has that slightly psychedelic vibe. It has that it's like guitar based for the most part. It has a really easy melody to get lost in. I think this is one of the more um, um kind of catchy songs that that you can latch on to here even though it's 9 minutes long. Purely it's like
0: one of the more purely <laughs> yeah. melody based ones I think. And like also that outro part cuz this is the second to last track. Mm. I, the first time I listened to this I remember having the thought that because there's this
1: extended instrumental break and it, honestly it felt like a reprieve a little bit and I think that's intentional yeah. knowing the subject matter of that album it's like we, we're getting a break right now yeah. Yeah, like that little instrumentation is you're at Magic Mountain where it's like you don't need to think about any of this other stuff
0: that's pretty brilliant, yeah. actually. If you break it down yeah. that way, and it it works, because I remember I was like, okay, this feels like it's something he's doing a thing here, where mm-hmm. this is gonna be long, because mm-hmm. I know this is a long song, and this feels like it's gonna be an instrumental break, and I was like, I can use this break, <laughs> right? I right. definitely can use a breather now, yeah, because he's he's presented a lot, yeah, he's presented his findings, and there's a whole <laughs> there's a lot going on, right? I need a, I need a, a breather, and right. the music's great. It's like really catchy, and I enjoy listening to it. And it eventually breaks down into just like a piano yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing single notes. Yep. Want um, going to do my favorites yeah, and yeah, we talk what potentially least are? Yeah. Um, so uh, mine, a lot of the same. Total Entertainment Forever, I think, is my favorite song on the album. Battle of the Dying Man, I think, is second or first. Tied. I don't know. Uh, Pure Comedy, I include in my list too. I think that would be my third favorite. I, I don't know, man. I just. I think that song's brilliant. I, I just like it really affects me when everything swells up and he sings comedy like the, the, when he gets really big with his vocals that really works for me yeah couple other shoutouts the third track things that would have been helpful to know before the revolution is one of my favorites there's mm-hmm. a part where he it bursts in with big instrumentation and yeah. he, he's like industry and commerce crumbled to their knees and yeah. stuff yeah I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, ooh, the narrative of this album is really picking up. Yes, And it's like he's using instruments in a way to sort of portray different things, the violence of what the revolution would be like. Um, Magic Mountain we already talked about. That's in my list as well. Um, And then I also have When the God of Love Returns. Love that song. Is a favorite. It's just like this nice piano ballad, and it has this really interesting conceit.
1: This is maybe one of the funniest songs on the album. It this is has really some funny. of the comedy that was <laughs> pure comedy. Right. Uh, this is some of the comedy that was present on Honey Bear that is maybe lacking a little bit on this album. The whole concept of this song is that when Jesus comes back to like bring on the end of the world, he gets here and he's like, "You haven't left me much to work with because like it's already the end of the world."
0: Wait, <laughs> it's really interesting because he's like it kind of comes from this narrative of like you're being given a tour of earth now yeah. and you can see how messed up it all is. And there's a really, really as funny as it is and as sort of sarcastic as it is, there's a really affecting line at the end when he's like, Oh Lord, we just want light in the dark, heat in the cold. And to create something out of nothing reminds me of someone else I know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and there's parts of in this song where he's like, how could God judge us for making the best of this messed up yep.
1: world? If there is a God, and, and yeah, it's like, Reed's like he's mad at God. He's like, next time you get bored, try something like a, a little less, um, I don't even remember what the word is. Ambitious. But a things. little less ambitious, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then quick shout out to In 20 Years or so. So basically, your
1: favorites are seven of the 13
0: songs on this album. What I tried to do is rank them. Okay, I tried to okay. rank gotcha. them. Gotcha. I think Leaving LA would be next. Okay, it, It's like in the gotcha. middle for me. Um, definitely really like I honestly really like it. Pretty much every song on this I album. I do
1: too, and it's actually it's kind of hard to pick a least favorite on here. I, I have two of them, and honestly, if I were to shorten this album, these are the two that I would I would take off. Um, is Birdie and Smoochie. Uh, I like the message of Smoochie, where it's like, again, it's that more positive yeah. vibe to it. I just don't think either of these songs has as much of the interesting instrumentation or melodies that are on some of the other albums these i understand in the spin review where they're like it's just like there's not a lot here i can understand those being the ones that might stick out as as maybe more boring
0: yeah those two for me are i think more middle of the pack
1: um well you just ranked your your middle of the pack's
0: <laughs> well, that's true. so they're like in that
1: next. Okay, that so they're like at the bottom. They're in this bottom half.
0: Okay, well maybe yeah, bo- top okay. of the bottom half probably. Because okay. um, what there's thirteen songs. Yeah, and I ranked seven. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, if I had to pick a least, even though I really like it, I I don't know, man. It's tough, but I, it might be the memo. Yeah. I I really enjoy it, and I think it's like it's really funny what he's doing with yeah. the. In fact, like the, the sort of beginning part was like, Gonna buy me yeah. a sports team. Like those yeah. parts, they remind me the most of Fear Fun. Right. It's like just this like kind of old, tried-and-true country right. chord progression on right. an acoustic guitar. One of my favorite parts on the album is that middle section where yes. it's like that huge critique of the music industry mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like there's this robot voice a la OK Computer, where, but a, a female voice. It's like, this is my song of my summer. Yeah. I'm listening to a chill winter playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Like I think that's awesome. This guy just just gets me. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that as a song, structurally it's so strange and it doesn't feel cohesive because you have like these this verse that's like kind of this like country twangy jokey vibe. Mm -hmm. It builds up into that thing and then it drops completely out
1: and you get another verse of gone or something. I I, I kinda kinda like that though, because what what i'm what i'm seeing with this is that he's doing that whole thing where yeah. he's like very tried and true like you said core progression and sound it's something we've all heard before yeah. and he's almost it's almost like a trojan horse of what he's telling you and then this bridge comes in and it breaks through and it's like the curtain's being peeled back a little bit and then it goes right back to the other thing um and the whole idea of this song too is kind of all about how we again just kind of numb ourselves with entertainment and um he's kind of complicit in all of that too i I, what i love about this song is he kind of gets like angry uh, about it like he 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 has moments where his voice gets a little bit higher especially towards the end in that last verse um he's like all he needs a couple winners to get every loser to fight in it keep the golden calf just need the bullshit like I, there's a lot of great moments or, or lyrics on this on this particular song. and he played this at Newport when we were there. and the line about how um where is it? It's about how the concert go. yeah. Oh, um, pay you to believe. Yeah, and he go. they're just like the ones before with their standards lower. Another concert goer will pay you to believe. And it was so funny because everyone there was kind of just like, yeah, I'm paying for this great experience yeah. and you're poking fun at me. I so g- for that, I, I still love this song for that experience yeah. and, and that whole idea. I And again, I really
0: pretty much love every song on this album. I really like this song a lot. I'm not saying in any way I don't like it. I, I guess if I just had to pick a least, I think that... It has all of the interesting critiques that he sort of presents on other songs, and I I, th- I really do enjoy it, but I just think that as a song, it sort of hangs together in just an odd way. Sure. Th- so that yeah. was the only... Yeah, yeah dis- absolutely. The yeah. only distinguisher I had to break yeah. up, because I think what would be in that bottom half sort of... Birdie and Smoochie would be like among the last four, last yeah. five, and I just think that like as pure listening... I can enjoy those as songs more. Okay. I I guess. Yeah. Just because they they sort of hang together. But yeah, I, I like those lyrics, and it always brings me back actually to Newport, yeah. where I remember thinking, <laughs> "People like walking out." <laughs> yeah, as people are walking out. Yeah, as he says in "Leaving L.A.," like I used to like this guy. Yeah, because he he came to Newport fresh off his his like sort of quote unquote rant right. at that other festival where right. he just talked for ten minutes and, and then played left. two songs. Yeah, um, one of the songs was "Leaving L.A.," so that's a right. little
1: deceiving. Right,
0: but. Uh, so he was in a, in, in an interesting mood at yeah. Newport, and he was I think this song was sung with I think a little extra vitriol. Oh, it was um, because it was it yeah. sounded kind of, like angry. Yeah, and like yeah. when he's like, I'm gonna take five white dudes and you know put them in a band or whatever, and they also tell everyone they sing like angels with whiter teeth. Yep. Like that's so much sarcasm yep. and yep.
1: so much contempt. And, and he was like poking fun at Ryan Adams the whole oh, time yeah. too remember that it's yes. like Ryan Adams represents all of the shit that Father John Misty hates yes like an
0: artificial yeah. the idea of folk rock as this artificial thing that white people with privilege can just latch onto and buy. And, and and ascribe to themselves some level of culture mm. cultured mm-hmm. of being cultured mm-hmm. yeah. and i think it just drives him nuts I, yeah. and that definitely it definitely comes across in this song. oh yeah oh yeah um so the that's a tough exercise, though picking it out his is. Favorite. It is. It is. I'm absolutely. curious
1: what other people's would be. Once they're, they're probably listening. like the whole album is my least favorite. I don't know. We'll see. We'll I, see.
0: I think that more people are gonna like this than than you might think. Because I hope so. It has been getting great reviews. I know. That's the thing. That doesn't
1: always translate no. to like you know. We'll see. We'll this see. might
0: be a Rotten Tomatoes 98% yeah. critics, 61% yeah, audience could score.
1: Could be like low audience could score. Uh, so that wraps up. Uh, a messy conversation about Father John Misty. I, I think that is what we expected it to be based on the magnitude of this album. Though. That's the album, man. So, it, it is messy. It's it's, it's confusing, and yeah. there's a lot
0: to break down.
1: Yeah, that, that's okay though. It's
0: okay. That's that. That's pure yeah. comedy. This is
1: not an album that you can sum up in you know in our podcast. This is something that needs to be discussed at length. You know. Throughout the rest of the year, the album's longer than the podcast. Exactly, like it's exactly. like it's like
0: as long as you've been listening to this, that's how long it took to listen to the album once. Yeah, right,
1: one time. Yeah. So there's <laughs> there's a lot going on. Let's wrap up this week's show with just one segment. Uh, we'll do show and tell. Uh, so Jake and I both had the privilege of going to Boston this past week to see Jeff Rosenstock and the Menzingers. Um, this was one of my favorite shows that I have been to in a long time to be honest with you. Jeff Rosenstock opened for the Menzingers. That dude is something else. He he had he opened up his set with someone announcing him. Like a, like a boxer would was, have someone announce them.
0: It was basically like, ladies and gentlemen, the king of DIY,
1: <laughs> Jeff <laughs> Rosenstock. And, like, they came out. Yeah, and, like, it was... That dude has, like, no pretentiousness about him at all like he doesn't seem to give a fuck he he had like a sleeveless t-shirt on with a big pot leaf on it that said vegetarian vegetarian (laughs) and he had on like ripped jorts yeah and
0: and just converse yeah so like
1: he was great to kick it off he,
0: that album, remind, it reminded me how great Worry is. Yeah. Because yeah. he played predominantly songs from Worry. Yeah. That album's incredible. L- give that
1: a listen, listeners, yeah. if you haven't yet. But my favorite part of the night, honestly, was the Menzingers. The Menzingers put on one of the best rock shows, one of the tightest, cleanest, clearest sounding rock shows I have seen in, in a very long time. Um, the crowd was absolutely loving it. I, I don't think I've seen a crowd as excited as they were for a lot of the songs that the Menzingers played, and what ends up being my takeaway from this is that the Menzingers just write fucking anthems. Yeah, absolute like pop songs.
0: They really packed them in too, and the thing is, is like they get lumped in. I almost equated to like the grunge thing from the mm-hmm. '90s, where Pearl Jam's grunge, Nirvana's grunge, Alice in Change, Soundgarden—they're all grunge, but they all have different sounds. Mm-hmm. They're all trying different things, and for convenience. Like, they get lumped by people in the music industry or whatever because it's easier into one genre. But the men's singers get sort of grouped into that punk, almost emo group. Mm-hmm. And they, while some of their songs have the structure of, of you know traditionally punk, they don't present as a punk band at all because they get up there and these dudes are playing Les Pauls right. plugged into Marshall Stacks and they have just this really professional amplification thing going on where the drums have like one of those it's really professional drummers like guys who tour in big bands have this where Mm -hmm. it's like it's almost this thing that's stuck with an adhesive to the bass drum Mm -hmm. and it just the sound of it was so big it actually it was like almost too big for the small venue we were at because they, they like they have invested in gear, oh, yeah, and yeah. they
1: their sound is, just, like you said, tight and And their whole look, they're all wearing black. They seem to like plan that out. The yeah. stage was so clean, too. It was clean of wires and like shit everywhere, like yeah. you normally see. It That's was just true. so clean and professional, which is kind of weird
0: to see, yeah, especially coming off of Jeff Rosenstock, yeah. where he comes out there, they have like these sort of, Rinky-dink amps. Yeah. he's playing like a, a Fender. I think he had a telly with a humbucker or whatever. And they're they're all playing Fender. Like it's the more traditionally. It's funny how much Fender versus Gibson is like yeah. DIY versus right. bourgeois rock. Right. But like you think of a Les Paul and you think like Slash and Jimmy Page. Right. And you think of Fender and you think like oh that's where people get their start. They're a little cheaper. It's funny to see a band in this. I I don't know why that was like a huge takeaway. For I you know.
1: Me too. One of my other funny takeaways. Again, Jake and I don't get down into the, the mosh pit. We don't oh get close to the stage. We usually go up to the balcony if there is one. That gives us a bird's eye view of the crowd.
0: Because, listeners, I don't know if you've noticed at this point, we're kind of overthinkers. <laughs> <We're
1: laughs> we just talked for an hour about Father John Misty. We're not people who just jump in and grab life by the horns. <laughs> we tend
0: to sort of think about we it. We have a fucking music podcast. We kind of think from the sidelines. All
1: right? <laughs> so we have a bird's eye view of all this shit going on. And one of my favorite things to do is just look at the security guards who are oh tasked with making sure all the, the crowd surfers get down safely. It's just the best. And this cast of characters was unbelievable. There was this dude with like a big ponytail and... He was looking tight though. He, yeah, he had
0: his own look going, and oh, he was yeah. really, really committed. He just looked pissed off the whole time. We pissed off. <laughs> he had like this this ponytail. He seemed to be kind of balding. Yeah, but he had like he was a dude with like black hair. <laughs> yeah. had a ponytail and had this tight faded beard <laughs> going on, and he was an interesting. He looked character. like a magician. Actually, he, he did. Yeah. My favorite guy by far was. The um, the bigger dude, the black guy who was was behind the barricade, he was so athletic, and he was running around and just making plays out (laughs) there because there were crowd surfers coming over and over, and he was always ready
1: to catch one. That must be so annoying. And there was at one point the menzingers were playing like a nice riff, and that dude, that black guy, was like bobbing his head. He was liking it. So that's not something you normally see with security guards. Do you remember the fucking kid? He was crowd surfing. There was no one there to catch him, though. He got dumped over the side. Yes, and he just smacked down onto the floor. Everyone up in the balcony was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, and that guy looked seriously hurt when he got up. <laughs> he did. He was trying to. He was doing that thing where he tried to brush it off because he's like, "Oh shit!" Lots of people are looking. I gotta like play this off like I'm fine. He was. He was a hurting unit. He was
0: hurting. He definitely had the wind knocked out of him at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Two telltale signs that he was not okay. One. Um, he was brought in the back by like someone from security, I think, or like to have him medically evaluated. <laughs> it, it seemed to me too. He didn't. Re- um, he didn't hesitate or like no. try to fight against that at all. He immediately went. He just immediately went yeah. back. I think he knew he was fucked up <laughs> from this fall. Because it, dude, I was thinking about this. Say, I like to imagine that that guy is someone like us who like doesn't let loose often and he finally decided he's like, you know what? Everyone who crowd surfs, everyone gets caught. Even some of the people who like were really thrown yeah, yeah. got caught at the right. last second. Like these right. bouncers are good at what they do. Right. And this guy's like, you know what? I'll let loose for once, I'll give it a shot, see what it's like. The poor bastard is the one dude all night just, dumped. just got dumped and, and dude like it was like one of those things. It honestly looked like when Cornerbacks leave a wide receiver wide open, and the the guy blows them off for an 80 yard touchdown. Yeah. The the dudes who are in the in the pit were just looking around like like who missed that? They're all yeah. they're all pointing fingers. Yeah, it's like who was that? It's so true. I know they were all like, what the fuck? How did that yeah. happen? I honestly the d- <laughs> the dynamic between the dudes catching mosh mosh pit and crowd surfers and the people crowd surfing is it never gets oh, old. My god, me. it's so funny. Because they're people with very... You can just tell different, different worlds, Wildly
1: different people.
0: And, like, you know these dudes catching kids who are crowd surfing are, A, uncomfortable with it. Yeah. They're all wearing, like, uh, rubber gloves. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? (laughs) These stupid fucking white people. Like, they can't just come and vibe out to a show and enjoy (laughs) it. They have to, like, hurt themselves. They have to, like, fight. Yeah. (laughs) It's such an incredible dive. There's a
1: lot that you could dive into about the psychology of going to a rock show like that oh, yeah. and needing to to like thrash and, and do all of that.
0: Another big moment where people in the pit were looking at each other like who who blew their coverage yeah. was two different times different dudes managed to sneak up behind the stage and yes! sprint off yes! the stage and stage dive. <laughs> That's right. Which a is so dangerous, yeah, and b was awesome to watch. This one kid, yeah. the first one who did it, somehow snuck up onto the stairs behind the stage. I didn't see it. All of a sudden, you just see him bolt across the stage by the two, uh, between the bass player and and guitar player and the men singers, and just jump yeah. like like dude. a fucking like like straight up like dove. Yeah, he dove head first. Like that's something where like if you don't know how to dive, you couldn't have done that. Yeah, and he. It was actually an amazing thing. I was thinking about it after, and I'm like, that takes a lot of balls, and it's hard to execute. Athleticism. If you're, like, a little too heavy or, like, can't, if you don't have good hops, yeah. you're not going to be able to do it. No, that. I know. This dude successfully did it and then yeah. crowd surfed. And then the, the guys who were, like, who blew the coverage, <laughs> they're all looking around. One of them was trying to catch him and he kind of, like, I, I watched this dude because he starts crowd surfing and he's, like, kind of floating. And as they're pushing him towards
1: the front, he was, like so- swimming. He was swimming back. He was, like, actually, like pressing off people's shoulders yes. with his feet. He was like kicking people to get back. He was he's, literally swimming through people.
0: He was wading back through the crowd cuz he knew he was fucked. If, yeah. he, if he got caught, if he got if he got spat out the front, yeah. he's going to get kicked exactly. out cuz I really think that's where they draw the line.
1: Did you see he did it a second time? Was he, that him it was again? the same guy. Okay, I this thought it was Steve Dove and someone else was already crowd surfing in the exact area he jumped into. He like Almost ran headfirst into the other person crowd surfing. Oh, my God. So dangerous. I don't know why people like get down with that.
0: What's funny is that they, there's this like small part of my brain where I'm like, it would be fun to try it. Right. But yeah. I am such a wuss that like I would need like fucking, like, I'd need like elbow pads and knee I pads. I, and I, I couldn't, I
1: wouldn't be able to wear my glasses. Yeah. I'd have to have someone hold my wallet. I'd
0: want a harness. Yeah. You'd have to walk me through it. It would right. be like going to like, like a, a rock climbing place. I right. need all the I need all of the precautions exactly. in place first before I'd be willing to try exactly. it. Exactly. And that will never happen because that's lame as shit. <laughs> There's no such thing as that. Do you want me to dive into this next yeah, thing? Give us your give us your okay. other show and tell. Quick show and tell from me. So I won tickets, listeners, through work to go see Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac and Pretenders who opened for. Her. They're I guess they're not the pretenders, they're it's just pretenders they're pretenders, which is hard to say. Interesting. So, I'll keep this quick, because we're running long here. Yeah. A couple things. This was at the arena here in Manchester. I had grown so accustomed to going to, like, the biggest possible show I'd see is, like, in a theater. Mm. And then the rest are, like, in little sort of small hole-in-the-wall type standing room-only places. Right. I kind of forgot what it was like to go to a stadium show. It is a very, very... Mm. Excuse me. Different vibe. Mm-hmm. A lot more casual listeners. A lot of... You know, an older crowd, obviously, was Stevie Nicks. Right. Um, and it's just a different feeling altogether. But mostly I don't like it as much as yeah. the type of shows we go to. I will say, I didn't hate being able to sit during this show. It's <laughs> a big one. We won free tickets through work, which means we got to sit in the box suite. Um, Mary-Kate, big friend of the pod, and I... And I was kind of, I was like, you know what? I'm not like so invested in this that I feel like I need to stand up right. for Stevie Nicks. Like I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this. Right. This is something where I have no, you know, I've become so accustomed to no going. No dog in the fight. Right. I've become so accustomed to going to shows where it's like this is a band I'm invested in. Right. And I'm really going to take something away from it. Right. And I spent money. And this is like, hey, this sort of fell in your lap. This is just this free thing, mm-hmm. totally different vibe. And I went and just sort of enjoyed it. And
1: it was a good time. I feel like that's how most people, even if they've bought a ticket. yeah. Go to concerts with that mentality of, oh, I'm just going to, like, chill out and enjoy it, and if it's not, like, great, then whatever, I had a fun night anyways.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's so different. It's so much more professional, what they do. And a couple, like, observations quickly about what Stevie did that I thought was really funny slash weird. One, three, actually. One... She played probably five, six songs that I don't think have been released before. So weird. And she was up there, and she was telling everybody, she's like, "Yeah, these are songs I wrote," and they got kind of just put in the box, like sort of my my my. I think she was calling it a box of like black songs. I don't know. She said like it was like forgotten songs, basically. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I never really brought them out, and we're gonna play them for you tonight. And I think people were kind of bummed by that. Yeah, of course they. I were. know. No I, I
1: hate hearing new songs. Yeah. Unless it's from an artist that I'm like all about and it's one new song. Right. Two, this was like VH1
0: storytellers for mm. Stevie Nicks. She's up there and told no joke, like full, like
1: five minute stories. How long do you think she spent talking for this entire show? Um, like total. 20 minutes. Wow. Like no joke. She had that's one... like an, That's like an episode of The Office.
0: It might be, yeah, it might be a little less. I might be exaggerating. I don't have a, I didn't time it. One of her stories was this really long-winded story about meeting Prince mm. and like recording with Prince. Actually fun fact that I thought was really interesting. You know her song Stand Back? Yeah. It was like a big radio hit. That song she wrote while listening to Little Red Corvette by ah. Prince on the radio and just wrote it over the beat. Wow. And and she was like um she recorded it in the studio and then she's like, "You know what? We can't do this. I better call Prince." Yeah. And she told this whole story about Prince coming and he was like he kind of signed off on the song. He's like, oh. "I like it." it's good like you can do it he played a little bit on it wow um, and so that was a big hit and it was loosely based on that interesting last thing all time weird move I've ever seen at a show Stevie like people who are established rock acts with a lot of money will do had like screens behind mm. her during the show with stuff showing mm-hmm. you know uh, some of it was like old Fleetwood Mac footage some yeah. of it was just this sort of weird filmed stuff some of it was just designs. So you yeah. know what I mean yeah. like, oh where, I know Yeah. there's yeah. stuff up yeah, behind yeah. the stage yeah At the end of the show, before I think before the encore, actually, might have been at actually the end of the show. What displayed up on the screen was the flag of New Hampshire, (laughs) (laughs) because we live in New Hampshire, and I I assume she just does that everywhere she goes. She's in she's in Trenton, New Jersey, (laughs) and she throws up the
1: New Jersey flag. That I don't get. How about being the guy whose job it is to put together that like video slideshow or whatever? Yeah. And you're like, oh, got to change out this flag for wherever we're going. That's like a big job of yours.
0: Well, you're just lucky to have a job. Yeah, you're just yeah. happy. Dude, to you're be...
1: sucking from the Stevie Nicks teat. Yeah, and you probably think you're like, this will give me a job in the industry. Yeah, yeah. It won't. Making
0: this fucking it, PowerPoint. It won't. That's basically what it was. Yeah. Because it would be like it was almost like she had talking points. It was like a fucking TED talk. <laughs> she's up there and she's like, she's like, you know, and I worked with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and behind her. was we come up this picture of young Stevie Nicks with Tom Petty with this yeah. Rickenbacker. And, and they're like, wow. smiling. And she's talking about Prince. And she told this story about them talking on the phone. And then behind her came up a picture of Stevie Nicks on the phone. <laughs> and a picture of Prince on the phone. People lost Are their minds. People f- got such a kick out of that. And wow. the, the whole time I was just sort of like, I didn't know what to make of it. Because i it's been so long since I've been to a show where... People just, like, there's that. It's more entertainment than it is that's music. What it,
1: yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. I think people expect another element of it where it's like if you're not doing that storyteller shtick, you need to be doing, like, a light show. Yeah. Or, like, have all this other stuff going on. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean.
0: Last point, and then I'll stop with Stevie. Her dance move, I was describing oh, yeah. it to Sean earlier. She doesn't dance. Just picture me, listeners, standing straight up holding my arms out in a T. And then picture me spinning around like a little kid who's trying to make himself dizzy. That was her one and only dance move for the entirety of the show. She would like get up there, she'd sing a little bit, she had beads under her microphone, and she'd be like playing with them. And then she'd finish singing a verse and she'd walk back and she'd spin in a circle. It's a wild, wild move. She'd spin in a circle. It was a wild experience, all in all. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed seeing her play the hits. Um the thing I've taken away from it though is like I am just sort of a selfish concert goer yeah. and if I don't know every song I get kind of annoyed yeah. and impatient mm. um and tired even at a show where I was sitting down in a suite
1: I think that just might be another health issue
0: Jake Yeah, that, that, <laughs> one's, that one's just that has to do with like something I should consult my, my doctor about yeah your primary care physician
1: about my, my constant L- fatigue lethargy yeah <laughs> lethargy so how's that for you that's a lengthy that's, one that's a big episode wide um, ranging yeah big time big
0: time uh what would a father john misty concert be like if he had a presentation
1: oh my god dude it would be like it would be pictures of politicians but with like photoshopped pigs on onto them yeah. or something something over the top like that but the
0: thing is is like what makes it so hard to picture is like he would realize how
1: that yeah, is. exactly. He'd be like, oh, that's 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 a really tried and true thing. He seems to have some of that um that like uh Tim and Eric humor about him, where he bit. really likes that stuff. I feel like he'd do something sort of like that.
0: Tim is touring with him for that's, for a yeah, couple days. That's right. I think. That's right. Um because he put out an album last year, and I think that they must be friends or something. Because yeah. I remember that when Pure Comedy came out, I remember seeing Tim tweet, he just like quote tweeted the, the the video and he just said holy fucking shit yeah. like he was blown away by right. it or whatever.
1: Right. So that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, let us know what you think about pure comedy. I think this could be a very divisive album. I think so. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Let us know. Uh and we'll see you next week. Probably talking Kendrick if that drops. That
0: might have dropped while we were recording this somehow. That's Right. So you That's never right.
1: know. That's right. All right. See you next week. Thanks everyone.
0: Now we're recording.
1: That LeBron talk was such good pre-show fodder. Did you think we were on? No. Okay. No. I, I knew we weren't. I knew we weren't. I feel like we've been we've been lacking in the pre-show takes, which is maybe a good thing because there was a while there, there was a stretch of episodes where it was like 15 minutes of yeah. just like you
0: can't too force much. it. You can't force it.
1: Yeah. You know, if we have stuff to
0: say, we have stuff to say. Really this is like this is just a little bit of uh verbal aerobics to get yeah. us going beforehand. You know, toy boat. Toy boat. We're, th- toy we're boat. just saying unique yeah, unique New York, Sean. That's right. You know, anchorman type stuff. Yeah. We're I, sort of anchormen. Yeah,
1: sort of. I think, I think that's how people view us. Oh, without a doubt. Like as anchormen. Without a doubt. And I think we're pretty geared up to talk about farmer job misery. Uh butterdumb shrimpy. <laughs> What would your Father John Misty joke name be? Like, would it have to be based around my name? Yeah, I... like like the second part would probably definitely be Jake. Okay. I, to... You know
0: what's funny is, like, someone who tweeted back at... Um, Cohen today when he did that tweet about like this is the correct. Oh, take. I saw. Yeah, yeah. The guy who replied was Father Jake Misty, and he <laughs> yeah. goes, he goes false. And it's like, well, dude, <laughs> <laughs> right? Not exactly. Clearly, you're not an unbiased source of <laughs> right. fucking opinion in this in this matter. True. You seem to be sort of styling yourself as this <laughs> <laughs> Misty acolyte, as a yeah, as a, as a sycophant <laughs> yeah. in the in the church of Misty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It'd be like. Is there some way I can mix in cereal in some way? Yeah. Like milk. I'm trying to... Crispy would be the end. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) rice Like, big father rice (laughs) crispy. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's (laughs) a good one. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can mix in cornflakes Mine somehow.
1: would be like Father Sean Sleepy or something. Because <laughs> I like, love sleeping. Can't wake I'm up. I'm trying to think. Cause you have to have a good first
0: word. Yeah, yeah. Like Pillow Sean Sleepy or something. But it has <laughs> right. to be like something that's roughly Father.
1: Right. Buckspring? No, it's not. Be- yeah. Tempurpedic. Something, something like that. We're we're like eighty percent of the way there. These are great. I think Father, well, at least Father Rice Krispy and Father Sean
0: Sleepy. Those are good, those are good uh, ones. Are bad. Yeah, <laughs> those are good ones. <laughs> what's the singular, by the way, of 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 Rice Crispy? Like, what's one? Is it with a Y? I think it's just a crispy. Is yeah. it with a Y? One K. One, one crispy. Wait, Rice Krispies is spelled with a K, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's. Yeah, so it, with a Y, though, right? Yeah. One singular rice crispy.
1: Yeah, that's right. With a Y, yeah. <laughs> Father, Father rice crispy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, man. Uh, okay.
1: This is honestly just prolonging the inevitable. I, I think there's a part of us, and we've been talking for like 25 minutes before we've even started recording, because I think both of us are a little afraid of tackling this. It's a lot. And it we have is. a lot in our notes, and it's just like I think we both really like this album, so we want to do it justice. Yeah. And it's just a lot to talk about. Yeah. You know? And
0: it's like. I don't know. It's it's a lot. I'm not not tired.
1: Right. I'm always tired. <laughs> Father Father shouldn't sleep. That's right. <laughs> Drowsy. Let's just let's just dive in. Let's just do it. All right. Let's just do it. Okay, ready? Three, two
0: one. Hey listeners, if you made it this far, surprise, surprise, you get a little additional blooper. Um, at one point in the episode, I sort of lost my train of thought and had to stop. Usually we do episodes all the way through sort of one take, but here is a little blooper of me messing up, us stopping the episode and Sean and me talking a little behind the scenes. So if you are one of the few who's crazy enough to listen to this, enjoy. And um, I'll actually, like, I'll, I'll let me see if it's a good time to read this quote about leaving LA. Yeah. Um, because and let's cut this actually, because okay. I yeah I fucked up. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, all right, ready? We'll, we'll we'll dive back in. Yeah, hold on. because uh, I was looking at the wrong one, and then it was too... I thought this up here was the quote I pulled from Larson's thing, and it's oh not. okay, it's down okay. here. I okay. let me actually just see if it makes sense. No, so okay. Actually, this is a this is a good point. We we we'll cut all this off. Is there somewhere in here we should like throw like songs some like where are we gonna talk about like because we have favorites and least favorites.
1: Yeah, should we bring that further up? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, like, I think it's really hard with this album to without like specifically going track by track. I, the way I was thinking of doing it was. Like as specific points come up, bringing up songs that yeah. that reflect that, like okay, um, yeah, like I, I think about this conversation with like, will this alienate more casual fans? Like, there's there's certain songs okay. you can talk about that.
0: So I will bring up the point I was going to bring up then. Okay, I'll say that because what I was what I was talking about right was that the perspective is that it's not that fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah, and that, so I'll bring up what okay. I have a quote from Larson's Spin Review. Okay. Um, so if you want I'll just start back up. Sure. Yep. All right. <clears throat> um Okay.